to another edition of New York Update. This is Jake Jacobs. I'm a New York City school teacher. We talk about New York education policy, and we are continuing our interviews with candidates. Today, we're going to speak with a candidate for New York State Senate in the 38th District, who is currently going for David Carlucci's seat. And we're going to be speaking to Tony Martinez from the town of Ossining. Are you there, Tony? Yes. Hey, good evening, Jake, and hi to everybody. Great. So we're going to jump right in and ask you if you could describe your personal education experience and if you have kids, their education experience. So what is your experience as a student and parent first? Okay. So I am a born and raised and educated New Yorker. I went to PS 174 in Queens and then I went to New York Military Academy. I also had the privilege to go to the U.S. Capitol Page School, uh, and then I went to uh, Cornell University undergrad. I have a bachelor's degree in industrial labor relations, and then I have a law degree from Brooklyn Law School. I have one son who is also an attorney, uh, and uh, he went to public school in New Jersey. And also went undergrad to the University of Delaware and then also graduated from Brooklyn Law School. And so what was your feeling as a parent with the education that your son received compared to the education that you had years earlier? You know, education has changed with the times. You know, I'm one of the things that I'm campaigning, one of the core contexts of my campaign is literacy. Uh, I think we've not done a good job where we've lost the ability to really teach our kids to be critical thinkers and really falling short in in um, really three areas that we really need to do more work on in, in education. One is uh, what I would say what I call financial literacy. And, you know, I really want to promote financial intelligence uh, in, you know, in high school and school, I want to go back to teaching things like home, e- home economics, shop class, credit and money management, insurance, get kids interested in savings, investment, the trades and vocations that are out there. So we, we don't get our kids into a trap of debt. We let them to figure out what their, what their, where their interests lie and then support them. Uh, the other thing that's different is I've seen, you know, the what I call civic literacy. The, the, there's a really a need to really teach uh, American civics. That most, most of our people don't understand how government works, how government operates, or doesn't have a really good understanding. And that does not serve us as a community, as a state, or even as a country. Uh, one of the, my campaign planks in that line is I want to teach and empower immigrants in our state to learn English and American civics. Uh, so that way we get them to be part and in, integrated into the American system. So they can fully achieve the American dream. Um, and the other area that I say that we need to be going back to is to teaching health, health, nutrition, Literacy. I mean, we we have 
a, uh, an epidemic of obesity and early chronic disease in our young people, we're not teaching good health skills back in school anymore. So these are things that um, I want to raise as a state senator, looking at how we are both funding education throughout the state and setting our you know policy priorities. That's a bit of an, an overview. Yeah, it's pretty interesting angle because it seems maybe more suited for a board of regents position, you know, where you're actually dealing with curriculum. So as a state senator, what would be the, I guess, vehicles for, would you be proposing bills that were, that were going to be introducing? I would be proposing bills and I'd be holding hearings and oversight. Remember, the role of the legislature is not only to pass legislation, but to conduct oversight, to conduct public hearings. Right. And particularly in our district, in the 38th district, you know, we have real cha- We have funding challenges. We have a, a, you know, problems with private and public education. So we need to flesh these problems out, not in a way that hits one side against the other, but to keep, but to, but to to look at how do we resolve this. I'm very concerned that the funding problem still hasn't been resolved, the foundation aid uh, issue hasn't been resolved, and it doesn't seem that there isn't any real accountability for it because we've been in this now for you know well over 10 years, yeah. and we still don't have a problem, and most people don't even understand, and we don't have a fix, and we don't have a commitment or a willingness, and I'm not necessarily blaming Senator Carlucci or the other people, other members in this district, uh, that represent the, this district in the past. Um, I, but I do, uh, you know, my intention to go to Albany is not to go there to be a career politician. Right. One of the differences from my uh, my opponents, these are folks who are already established, entrenched politicians in their in their own communities and are just looking to, like, leap in into this. You know, uh, I'm, I've been in the private sector you know, all of my life. I have, you know, I've served in a public position on um, the Zoning Appeals Board in Ossining, and I've been an attorney uh, now for, uh, you know, 20, I'm going, this is going on my 25th year, and I do have a track record of service and, uh, in, in dealing with, with the problems that, that people in our community have, uh, real-life problems. And I'm proud of the fact that you know, I've done a pretty good job over those 25 years. People know me that I that I represent them to be a hardworking, dedicated, authentic individual uh, who cares about the work that he's doing and cares about the problems that are people having that people are having. Uh, and I look to solve problems. So, in my role as a state senator uh, on this whole issue with education, I I want to I want to look at you know where the breakdowns are and start holding uh, people accountable or the system accountable and reporting back to the people. You know how frustrating it is that every year parents that are hoping to get some relief uh, on property taxes and getting some clarity on this, and it's always the same thing. I'm not going to Albany to go spend uh, you know, 20 years be, you know, be a career politician. I actually, one of the things that I propose is a term limit uh, in each house of 12 years 
and even putting a term limit on the gov on the on the governor's uh, office right. of three terms. So it's like my my number that I'm working with, and again, this is open for debate. You know, so other thing that that I'd like the audience to understand is when you make a proposal, understand that proposal isn't necessarily going to be what's going to come out at the end, but it's a starting point because you use it as a basis to have a discussion. So my argument is 12 years in the state Senate is a good enough amount of time, uh, or 12 years in the Assembly, 12 years in the Assembly to make a dent and, and make a, make your mark in, in, in public service. Now, in exchange for putting those term limits, I also want to offer a proposal to amend the Constitution to uh, make the terms of office from being two years to four years uh, in, for, the, uh, for the state legislature. Uh, and another problem we have is everybody running for office is always running for office. We need our legislators to be governing again. Right. And when you're in a perpetual campaign fundraising mode, there isn't a lot of time to do this kind of work that I'm talking about. We've got to get down to why the foundation aid problem hasn't been solved. Why aren't we making these things uh, or these issues that I'm talking about in education? Why aren't we doing something about it to, to actually implement these reforms? Why isn't the Board of Regents doing uh, and more on this? How can we get teachers to take this up? What are the inputs of the teachers? What will the teachers need in the schools in order to make this happen? How do we support the local boards of, of, of education throughout the state? These are the kinds of things that being a state senator or legislature will allow you to have a forum and the ability to have the oversight uh, and, and, and the power to actually start getting some things done. And then you propose intelligent legislation. Most legislation doesn't occur by uh, ramming a, a, a legislative a bill down, uh, you know, roughshod. You, the, the process requires, uh, you know, really interaction with the public, getting feedback, and then, you know, working on it, and, and then using the power that you have in the legislature to, uh, you know, work out uh, when a law gets passed, Usually, laws with all their good intentions also have unintended consequences or inequities, and the legislature should be responsive to address them quickly. It's like when you go to buy a suit. You know, you take it to the, you, the, the suit may not fit perfectly, you put it on, and then you realize, hey, I got to take, uh, take the waist in, or I got to expand uh, the pant legs. I got to make this fit right. And so that's kind of also legislating requires that also right because we, we have, so I, I'll, I'll, I'll stop so I mean we're kind of an education focused podcast okay. so on the foundation aid we've been witnessing especially the Austin community has been witnessing yeah. year after year the foundation aid and we've seen what Senator Carlucci has and hasn't done and so exactly what would you do differently to try to bring that foundation aid home to Austin and the other struggling districts I mean, the answer to that question is, I would, like I said, my, my approach is I want to go drill down and find and really drill down and explain to people why the money hasn't come through in a very straightforward answer. Because people are entitled to know that. And then 
if the money isn't coming through, we one of two things has to happen. Either we have to force the hand of of the state on on it, or we're going to have to you know readjust our expectations because the problem that we have is we have this expectation that this money's coming and it hasn't come in all of these years and we've gotten all these excuses. So either something's got someone's got to be held accountable to get that money or we have to change our expectations about getting that money because it's kind of like false hope. It's like we're, it's like the public's being jerked around and that's not fair. Right. And and, and here in Austin, uh, you know, people are str- you know struggling with property taxes. You know, we have a great high school, we have great schools, but I mean, it's, it's hard and it's not fair. We're entitled to get that money that there is, a, you know, the, the, the legalities are behind it, but, but apparently there isn't the political will to get it done. And that's ridiculous. And so I want to go in there and get some clear answers and report back to the, to the district and say to the people, this is the reasons why, in plain English, black and white. Now, and here's, here's, what, of our, here's what our options are. And then I, as a member, can make a can can, can become a perpetual, uh, you know, be, be persistent about bringing this issue up until until this gets resolved. Okay. So one tactic that Senator Robert Jackson has recently tried uh, it was just last week, and I saw that David Carlucci was posing with him in a photo op along with. Senator Alessandra Biaggi and Jessica Ramos and Assemblyman Harvey Epstein and a couple of others. But Robert Jackson kind of went on a limb in his press release to use language saying that he would not support any budget that did not include foundation aid. Um, That was kind of the implication of his language. And last night after the, the congressional debate, I approached Senator Carlucci and I told him that I saw him in the in the photo op with Senator Jackson and I asked him, would he also make that same commitment, knowing that it would kind of put him in a box for for other negotiations, but you know, but that it was a much stronger position? And Senator Carlucci agreed that Senator Jackson was taking a strong position to say that. Of course, Senator Jackson has been working on the uh, foundation aid and campaign for fiscal equity issue for about two decades. He was the lead plaintiff in the CFE case. But Senator Colucci would not take the same pledge when I asked him last night in order to retain the flexibility needed for other issues later on. So as a candidate, would you take the that stronger position? I, I would take the stronger position. I do know Senator Jackson when he was uh, a member of the New York City Council uh, and and in fact, that is one of the powers you have as a legislator is to hold up things. You hold up your vote and you got, and and you also, you know, I I will go to Albany, you know, making it very clear. I'm here to get this done for people. I'm not here to spend the next uh, 10, 20 years of my life. I'm here to get things done for my, for my constituency. And then I want to go back home. I don't want to want to be, I want to spend the rest of my life in Albany. Right. Uh, I want to serve, and 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 so absolutely, you do what you have to do as a legislator, using the power of your office to get things done. And it's and and I would make it so there's no surprise. I would say to uh, the caucus that hey, uh, Martinez, Senator Martinez cares about uh, getting this funding done. 
So you want to play ball, this is what he cares about. Right. So, and, and so, so if deal that... with me, deal with me uh, from, from that place. Things that I care about, and you deal with me from those places. Got That's it. why I got sent to Albany. The people in my district, the voters, want to know what the hell's going on. Why hasn't this money been delivered? Yes, we all yes we all agree that it's very important. I, my question was more about the tactics and the strength of the position that you'd be willing to take that that Senator Carlucci doesn't seem to be willing to take. Well, if, I think Senator Carlucci has, you know, he has his, you know, every legislator has a different set of priorities, and I'm not, you know, Senator Carlucci is also looking to get elected, uh, you know, step up to the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, so, you know, he may look at this with a different set of optics. Gotcha. I'm approaching this optics of, of I'm going there. Uh, in fact, the, the reason that I'm in Albany is actually because of this problem, because people are counting on me to find out and get down to the bottom of what the hell is going on. Why hasn't this money come through and using the office to actually force the hand because there is a solution people we we, we can do this we can we can get this result and it takes it takes uh, you know your it takes a strong will uh, and 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 clever and uh, strategic negotiation to get it done but I'm committed to doing that I mean I do that as an attorney uh, I've done that pretty much all of my career has been in very difficult situations for clients and trying to work out solutions and settlements. Yeah. You know, in my office, my, my, uh, my, I don't have a square conference table. I have a round table. You have to see an issue with 360 degree optics. So I'm happy to, to, I, you know, I would look forward to working with Senator Jackson, uh, and, and getting this done because enough is enough. Gotcha. So let's move to the issue of high-stakes standardized testing. So I asked your opponents, Justin Sweet first, uh, what his position was. He has a large family. I think he's got something like eight or nine children. And so he's, as a parent, he's been through the third to eighth grade tests here in New York State for quite a while. And Interestingly, he said that ever since day one, he has opted out his children from the high-stakes test all through his, his family. I think his kids range in age from 19 to uh, like three or something. And so he, he still has kids that are going to be going through those years, those third to eighth grade years. Elijah uh, was a little different. Um, as a former TFA teacher, he, he said that he believes there is a place for standardized testing. He does believe in the, the necessity of it to be able to compare students from one school and one district and one state to another. And there's the big debate, um, you know, whether or not these mandates, which is a federal mandate for the tests, is doing more harm than good. And that's one of the reasons why I asked you about your experience as a parent. On the New York State Senate level, the big question would be whether or not you would support legislation that would reduce the number of tests or the time involved or the stakes, because we do have the federal mandate. We're stuck with that until Congress and the Senate you know, do something. But New York's interpretation 
or implementation of the law has been one of the worst as far as how they're tied to teacher evaluations without really any evidence that there's a, a scientific connection. The days that we had for testing was six days for the state test. Now it's been reduced to four. But the length of the tests, currently they're untimed, meaning that you do have kids testing for five and six hours every year. So what's your view on the, the state tests, and what would your view be as a, as a, uh, a legislator? Okay, so let's look, at the, let, let's look at it from both perspectives. My own perspective, I remember taking the standardized tests, and I actually thought they were uh, very useful and constructive because uh, in, in my particular case, they were, you know, we were tests that I did very well in, and um, it also challenged me to do better on the test that, you know, I just kind of came in at average. Uh, but, you know, it, there, let's remember, the whole purpose of having tests is you got to have some type of reference standard that you can measure against. You know, there's a saying, if you don't measure something, you can't fix it or you can't make it better. you got to have a starting point. I do understand uh, and it's interesting because from Justin Sweet's perspective as a parent, he knows how the tests uh, impact all of his kids. Uh, and he has a range of experience because he has a lot of kids. And whereas you have Elijah's uh, experience as a teacher, but not as a parent, there you see... Isn't, isn't that interesting? Makes, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's something that I think it's important for the voters to, to, you know, if you're going to send somebody to Albany, send somebody with a breadth of life experience mm -hmm. because that's, that, that's important, you know, to, to have that. You know, how can you talk about anything with kids? I mean, it's great if you're a teacher, but if you don't have them, if you're not a parent or you haven't been parenting, it's not the same thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, similarly, you know, you should have at least in professionally some experience in being a teacher or in teaching or in teaching others because that is also the role of being a leader is you want to teach and empower the people that you're serving uh, to learn and to use and information and resources intelligently. But anyway, but I, I'm, I'm diverting. I think we need to, I think the answer may lie in having some testing, not letting it get over, over, you know, overblown uh -huh. and looking at how we can better use results of tests, of the test results to help improve, uh, outcomes for the kids, uh, along the way. Um, but to say that we shouldn't have them, you know, I don't, I don't agree with that, but that they, that they are the be all and end all. I don't agree with that either. We need to use them as as just as a, as a basis upon which we can measure our performance, and then use it to to make changes. And and that's very individualized and very localized because the different communities and schools may have different. Uh, sets of issues and challenges. Right, but the whole point of the state test is that it is standardized across the whole state. So you have kids in Scarsdale and you have kids in maybe Peekskill or, you know, down in the Bronx where I teach. 
And, you know, we already know, based on the economic situation and based on other factors, you know, everything from nutrition to homelessness and how much incarceration and crime there is in the neighborhood, that certain communities are just historically going to score better than others. And so we do standardize. We give every kid in the state the exact same test, knowing that some are going to do better and some are not. And so, you know, when it comes to the question of testing, I mean, as a teacher, of course, we're going to give tests, but why wouldn't we just give them the tests that their own teachers develop that are based on the actual curriculum that they're learning in class, as opposed to this standardized curriculum that's expected from every kid in the state, when we already know that there's such a disparity in the economic and socioeconomic situation? Okay. So... Why don't we do both? I think I think that's a, a good suggestion. And by the way, uh, for full transparency and disclosure, I, I just want to mention that my future daughter-in-law, my son is engaged to get married, is a school teacher in New Jersey. Okay. And so I'm glad I said, I'm very big on on teachers. I happen to think you and every teacher listening out there have one of the most important jobs in society. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate that teachers are not given the regard and the support that they need financially and morally uh, in our society. Uh, and But you play a, a very important role in what happens. And you, your ability to impact the lives of kids as teachers is tremendous. I still remember my teachers uh, and um, from as I was going to school, and particular ones that had impacts on me uh, in terms of what I uh, became interested in and studied. And so it's truly, uh, it is truly a special uh, occupation that you have. And I think we need to treat our teachers better uh, in, the, in the entire United States. And as the state senator, I'll be looking for ways uh, that we can uh, definitely treat teachers better in the state of New York. So, you know, New York has, of course, the highest opt-out rate in the nation. It has hovered around 20 to 18 to about 16% last year. But here in the 38th district, it's higher than the state average, depending on the school district. It's pretty high in Haverstraw. It's pretty high in Clarkstown. And so there are a lot of parents, you know, that do opt out. But of course, you know, they age out of the system as their kids leave eighth grade. And so you have new parents coming in. The teachers have been, you know, opposed to the standardized tests for a long time because we still, to this day, have our evaluations tied to the test scores. And I wrote an article for the Washington Post in 2015 about how ridiculous it was as an art teacher because my evaluation was tied to math scores. And a lot of people don't realize that it's still the same way. Now, you said that, you know, why don't we give both? Well, we do. We do give uh, tests and exams. All of the core subject teachers develop them and they test the kids and then they're able to use those results to determine, you know, where the strengths and weaknesses are of all the students and they're able to adjust on the fly in real time. The state tests, which we have to take in addition, do not give us the scores or the results. We're not allowed to see them later on. So there's absolutely zero diagnostic value. The only thing it does is it gives the government officials a score so that they can use for accountability policies. 
And those, those are the very same accountability policies that have caused the popular backlash. And again, in New York, it's the, the highest in the nation. So the bottom line, I guess, as a state senator would be, I mean, I, Justin and Elijah both agreed, since we're stuck with the federal mandate anyway, would you seek to reduce the levels of testing and the stakes that are attached to the test to the minimums that could be done, uh, you know, uh, with the discretion of the legislature. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I think we're all in agreement on that. That's, yes. Great. Okay. So um, the the other. Bit- I, I mean, I'm interested. I, I'm interested, particularly, in making the process work for teachers, so it can work for our kids. Because you all are at the front lines of this, because you see the disparities and the inequities. What I remember I was talking about, something that has good intentions, but then there are unintended consequences and unintended uh, inequities. Right. Uh, and, and so we have to have flexibility to address that. And I really appreciate you taking the time to do an education podcast. I know it's not the most <laughs> sexy topic, and there is a high tune-out factor for people once you start talking about the, the education jargon. But, you know, some of these policies really are ridiculous wastes of taxpayer money that teachers have been trying to blow the whistle on since about 2011, you know, when it comes to standardized tests. Because when we when we have a, you know, we have an intake process when we get sixth graders in my school, and it takes about 15 to 20 minutes to get a writing sample off them and then get their general writing level and place them in a class. So the fact that we have two days of testing in the spring, and then, of course, you know, their teachers are removed from the classroom to do the scoring for five to seven days after that, it's such an interruption. And then it also, it narrows the curriculum for the entire school year from day one because the principals have the pressure on them to get those test scores up, and so they really only concentrate on the things that are tested and that hurts other subjects like social studies and science and art and technology and gym and everything else is reduced. You know, it's great that we can sometimes have these interviews and, you know, we ask the candidates, you know, what their policies and, and their views are because we are in this space, you know, and we've been doing this kind of research and advocacy for years. And we want the people that are running for office to know exactly how teachers are affected and how students are affected. And I really appreciate your answer because reducing the length of the test and reducing the stakes for the test would really free schools up at the local level to do what they think is in the best of their individual students. I I, I appreciate that. And, you know, I I, I like this concept of what I call localism because one size fits all doesn't always work. <laughs> right. <laughs> we agree. And you have to have the wisdom and the ability to understand and appreciate that. Yeah, when I did my master's in education, everything that they were telling us about best practices has to do with individualization and differentiation and becoming familiar with your students and recognizing that there's multiple intelligences and how kids learn best. And then we have these state tests, which is the complete opposite. It's just a cookie-cutter approach 
that forces every kid to learn the exact same thing at the same time. And kids just don't develop that way, you know, especially at the younger ages. To expect everybody to read at a third grade level in third grade isn't reality because kids come from so many different places and you have late bloomers and you have early bloomers and you know it's just not science it isn't reality so this is kind of the pushback that a lot of new york teachers have been doing in the last couple of years especially since 2014 when the opt-out rate hit about 20 percent statewide that we've been trying to ring these alarm bells and get attention for this and so this that's why it's one of the big issues that i always ask about so, um, yeah. and if we can move on, sure. the next biggie would be the charter school debate. And the charter school debate finally is getting some attention in the presidential race this year. In 2016, it was absolutely missing. You know, of course, this filters down all the way down the ballot to, to the local level. And so we know that there are no charter schools in the 38th district. Generally in the suburbs, there aren't charter schools because the public schools are just fine. Or, you know, there might be discrepancies from district to district, but we don't have that competition here. But as a state senator, you would be voting on uh, whether or not to lift the statewide cap on charter schools. And what that usually means is opening up new charter schools in New York City. There's a lot of pressure to do this coming from Republicans coming from the corporate Democrats, from Bloomberg, from Wall Street. You know, there's a lot of PACs that support charter schools like Students First and Families for Excellent Education. And we read about them. And so these are kind of like the uh, the battle lines um, that are drawn. It's public education versus the school choice movement, you know, which includes charters and in past years, they've even proposed vouchers or backdoor vouchers in New York State. So what's your view generally on charter schools and how would you okay. vote? I, I mean, I think the idea is that, let, let's think about this. Why did we have charter schools in the first place? Because there was a perceived uh, feeling, notion that there wasn't the kind of uh, the quality uh, of, of education in the public education system. And so it kind of sprung out as a competitive mechanism uh, in, in, in the education space. But let's not forget, not everybody's going to go to a charter school. We have public schools. And we have a commitment, primary commitment to public education. And I do think it's important, I mean, just as a general notion, that whatever whatever we provide to the public, that there are competitive mechanisms and accountable mechanisms built into the system. Because as long as you have competition, but it needs to be fair competition. Because when you have fair competition, that's where you get creativity and innovation. But if competition is using to protect one interest over another, then that's not, that's not the kind of competition I think that we want. I think what we want in education is we want to have an education setting where we get teachers can can teach and the students learn and students excel and we kind of you know and get results and they're rewarded and there's re there are rewards for that tangible and intangible. So would I get rid of uh, charter schools? No, but I think. We have to understand that the country is, and the state is not going to shift to a charter school system. We are a public education system, and so we need to look at how to balance that 
that competitive aspect uh, because if it's done correctly, you know, we can, uh, again, have a situation where uh, we're getting the higher quality of teaching and the students are, are uh, improving and excelling. It, it is a tricky issue because it's very it's controversial and it struggle because, again, it goes back to that whole issue of what is the purpose of, you know, if we have public education, well, then why do we have charter schools? Um, so, but, but again, we, we have them, again, because as a, as a result of having what I would submit is a, is a competitive mechanism to, to and, and it has a, a competitive tension. Well, but at the end of the day, I'm pro-public education. Right. Uh, so, I, so if, yeah, if we can put a pin in that, when the when the charter law was first passed in New York State in 1998, the language of the law as it was written actually it didn't really have the competitive aspect to it. What the what the charter school law says, especially in the introduction, the language of the law itself says uh, special emphasis. Charter schools must have a special emphasis on creating learning experiences for students who are at risk of academic failure. So the idea of competition, that we wanted to kind of open competing schools to make the public schools kind of like do more with less, is more of a Republican talking point. And I was actually able to ask Governor Pataki this question myself uh, once on a radio show, and he doubled down on the view that competition is good. Competition is, it's good because like in the business world, it kind of drives, you know, better results for the customer and it would make the schools work harder. The problem is to get the law passed, somebody ended up putting the language in the law that said that charter schools have to have special emphasis on students who are at risk of academic failure. Since day one, since the first charter school opened, that's never actually been the case. The charter schools, especially in New York City, you know, the famous chains like Success Academy, they do the exact opposite, where they have less of the high-needs students than the district schools. They have less English language learners. They have less students with disability. Um, although they do have, you know, children of color and they do have children from impoverished neighborhoods, there's no doubt about that. So the the real knock, one of the biggest knocks on charter schools is that they cherry pick the kids. They they take the best test takers out of the district schools and that they use the the perception that this is supposed to be a competition to try to portray themselves as somehow superior to public schools when the public education defenders are saying that it's apples to oranges because you're creaming the kids and they've been doing that since day one. And a lot of people say that's in violation of the New York State law. And I spoke to Mike Mulgrew about this a couple of weeks ago. He said they are, even to this day, still considering further litigation because charter schools do not carry their weight of the high-needs students. Why, where the role of the legislator, the legislator, legislature's role in oversight, you do have the ability to say what is going on and where where has this broken down and why and what do we need to do to fix this and who should be held accountable if someone should be held accountable. You know, these are the things that need to be fleshed out. 
Right. And so it's only been very recently that the Democrats took the majority in the state Senate. And so last year, when that happened, or sorry, 2018, when that happened, they did not increase the number of charter schools. You know, the cap has been stuck right where it was uh, ever since 2018. And before that, they had been continually raising the cap. When the Republicans and when the IDC was in charge, you did see them raise the cap several times and open new schools, new charter schools. Remember, every time a charter school opens, it's not just one building, it's three buildings because they start out with an elementary school and then as the kids age... They, they then open up a middle school and then they open up a high school. And then those three buildings continue on grandfathered in under that one charter. And yeah. I don't think anybody on either side is suggesting that we close down the existing charter schools. I think on the state Senate level, it's really just a matter of whether or not they would acquiesce to the Republicans and the billionaires and to Governor Cuomo and, and raise the cap. So I would challenge that cap raise. I mean, in terms of necessity, in terms of impact, you know, because if you expand that, you are taking away from public education. Absolutely. Because there's only, so, so, so then you, you know, then, then you have to ask those members who quote unquote support public education, if they're also supporting this, and go, well, where, where does it end? Right. You know, you can't be so and and that needs to be fleshed out because the public needs to know. Voters need to know where where their elected officials stand. Yes. And it's by it's by their positions. And so if you have this kind of game going on that you're describing because to me it just sounds like a it it, it, it what it is is a clever little game. Uh you know, we say one thing but we actually do something else. Right. Um you know, you've got to be, you have to be congruent and consistent with, with words and actions. Mm-hmm. So if you're for public education, be for public education. Right. And again, we're not talking about getting rid of the charter schools yet, but I mean, what's the reason to have more? Because if we have more, it's going to hurt the public education that we need. Right. And there is what Bill Clinton used to call the, the original promise of charter schools. Because the original promise of, char- of charter schools and, and what's written in the law that's passed in New York is that the charter schools were supposed to deal with those high-needs kids and they were supposed to innovate more practical settings and more practical solutions that really specialize on that at-risk population. And it's just been so ironic that they've done the complete opposite because, you know, when they convinced the legislature, you know, back then that there was a need for charter schools. It was to augment and supplement, you know, the, the district schools. It was supposed to help kind of, you know, take away their, you know, real special cases and have flexibility around the union contracts and around the hours and the, the length of the year and all of these different things that were promised that have not been congruent since the first charter school opened in New York State. Ever since, you know, we, we've been in these wars, they call them the charter wars. Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren are, are signed on to the NAACP moratorium on charter schools. Uh, most of the other candidates are either trying to avoid the issue as much as possible, but, you know, Buttigieg and Biden say that there is a place for charters. 
They're against for-profit charters, which, you know, isn't so hard to be against. Some of the candidates, like Amy Klobuchar, said that she thinks that charters should have the same oversight, but and they should be allowed to unionize. And so there's a couple of different positions. But what I've asked everybody so far is, would you support legislation that would just keep the, the cap in place where it is now, not increase any more charters in New York State? And would you just, in principle, support the NAACP moratorium on new charter schools? Yes. Right. Okay. So um, that that would put you in line That's with... That's pretty with, straightforward. <laughs> yes. Right. And Justin Sweet has also said that, but uh, Elijah was going to get back to me. He he wasn't so familiar and he wanted to read the NAACP moratorium through. Uh, to me, it's... I mean, I, I mean, concept, I mean, I mean contextually, I, I'm in, agree, I'm in agreement with that we don't need to have more. Right. I mean, New, New York, just just so you know, New York uh, State is currently at 6%, and New York City is at 10%. And yeah. the way that compares around the country is, you know, New Orleans, of course, is the most. They're over 90% charters. Detroit is 50% charters. Philly is 20%, and Chicago is 20%. So New York has been a bit more resistant Although New York City has the most concentration in the state. And so that, you know, just to put it in perspective and personally, where we are is fine. And if the existing charters want to continue, I would just ask that they take a look at the law that created them. And then and then we could have conversations from there. Sure. Those are really my three big issues. It's the testing, the charters, and of course the school funding. And I really appreciate you covering this ground with me. And I hope I've given you a, a, a perspective, a different perspective than the other candidates. And um, I, I hope that that will help your listeners and you make a choice about who you want representing you in Albany on this issue. Right. Well, we do love to, uh, you know, to speak about these issues a little more in depth than you can in some of these candidate forums where you only get like a minute or two minutes. Sure. And so that's great. And yes, we do try to get candidates on the record. And, you know, we do try to come back and have conversations later on. If you would be my state senator, I would hope to be in frequent communication as a... Absolutely. I mean, uh, Jake, I think uh, you'd be one of my go-to people on education all the time because you need to have a good legislator has a good group of people that he or she relies rely on to get you know to be like a sounding board how does this work how is this going to play am i am i reading this correctly right you know it's always good to have another set of eyes and ears on an issue because again i go back to my example in my office the round table you need to have 360-degree optics on an issue. Even if, you know, you know, you have to be able to see how the other, the, the opposition sees something so that you can understand the context or the place where they're coming from. Right. So that if there is a place to find some consensus, you can reach that consensus and you can move forward and not be at an impasse. Right. Just as it pertains to the race, you know, I know nowadays it's, you know, it's amazing how much money a candidate has to raise. The the petitioning has just started. And so we're going to be having about a month of petitioning. And so how do you see this race going? And who do you think that some of your other, like you say, your advisory groups or different communities that you're in frequent touch with, you know, who comprises your base of support? And 
Also, you know, the people that uh, you raise money from, for example, would you ever take money from big corporate PAC or you might be... No, I haven't taken any, I haven't taken any, any, I haven't taken any PAC money and my donors are all low dollar donors. Like, you know, I have maybe like one or two big dollar donors and the rest, and there are people that I know or worked with, uh, but, but my average donor is like 20, 25 bucks. Okay. And, and, and I like that. In right. fact, I, I, I want to have, I want to be the, the candidate that has the most low dollar donors than anybody else because I represent the average person and, and, and I've fought for the issues that matter to everyday people because I've been in the trenches with them. I'm not a wealthy man. I am a middle class guy who comes from a middle class family and the son of the American son of immigrants from the Dominican Republic. My dad came to this country and rest in peace, came through Ellis Island with my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And he, he went to school, he went to DeWitt Clinton High School, he was an Eagle Scout, he joined the Boy Scouts when he graduated from high school. He volunteered to go serve in World War II and served in the Pacific Theater. Mm-hmm. And and then when he got out of the when he when he came back from the war, he um, then went to work for the government and then went and went to law school and became a lawyer. And became a very prominent immigration lawyer, and he helped thousands of people immigrate uh, to the United States. And uh, and I owe my my education to my father, my mom, and dad. I'm always grateful to them because they made sure that my sister and I uh, got the best possible education that we can, we could get. Right. And, and I, I truly believe that we got that. So right. that's my, that's sort of my, my, uh, my, my connection to this on a personal level. Right. Got it. <clears throat> okay. How can people uh, get in touch with your campaign? Very easy. My website is tony4ny.com, the number four, tony or ny.com. They can email me, Tony, T-O-N-Y, at T-O-N-Y-4-N-Y.com. Great. Okay. And is there anything else that you'd like to add? Something that we haven't covered? I just appreciate, Jake, this opportunity. And the folks listening out there, if you uh, agree with what uh, what I talked about, I ask you to join, to be, support my campaign, send me to Albany, I will do a good job for you. I will not be a career politician. I will get things done, and I will get down to the bottom of these issues, particularly about the foundation aid. Enough is enough. We need some straight, clear answers and solutions to that problem. And I will lay that on the line uh, up in Albany in dealing with the governor and the other members of the legislature. Uh, it's time that we get the money that we're this, this district is entitled to and is, and is owed. And I think it's it's awesome that you'd be willing to take the position that you would not vote for any budget that did not include the phase-in amount. I think uh, the Board of Regents and Senator Jackson have been banding about the figure $1.9 billion for this year's yeah. budget. And, of course, there's over $4 billion owed, but, uh, you know, that would be a one of, like, a three-year installment. And, uh, you know, I know that's just the starting... Well, I would be proud to stand with Senator... Jackson, I, like I said, I know Bob, Bobby from when he was in the city council, uh, and just a very hardworking, very smart public servant and legislator. And, uh, you know, again, 
the, the districts that have been shortchanged in this for how many years? Enough is enough. We've yeah. got we we, we the, the 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 governor and 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 the whole state mechanism has to stop playing games. We, and we need to know why it's been taking so long to get this money, and who is holding it up. What are the what are the games that are are still blocking it because it's ridiculous? Yeah, it would it, it, it would be great to give the voters a chance to weigh in on that, right? Like if it oh, were... I think ultimately that I will get down to the bottom because I want that'll be that's my that's sort of that that is my report back to the to the district is to tell them here's what I found out and I'm you know, and you say here's the thing I'm not invested in being a lifer up in Albany there I'm there to so. So I, that they won't be able to play those games with me, those political games with me. Right. I was there here for a specific mission to get the job done, and then you know retire on my laurels. You know that done some things. I'm not there going there to spend rest of my life and my career. I just want to serve. But on a personal note, you know, uh, this March uh, will be the sixth anniversary of I had a heart attack. Okay. almost died in March of 2014. And I recovered from that. And I'm in pretty good shape uh, and from that. And and something that I made in my in gratitude to, I believe in God, right. uh, and, and my gratitude to the Lord for sparing me, giving me an extended release on life, that I want to make the time that I have uh, to be in service and helping the community uh, my community uh, be a better community and and serve the people and and I'm grateful because I because of that surviving that I was able to see my son graduate from law school get sworn into the bar and God willing see him get married his college sweetheart this summer and enjoy my family and enjoy life so I I I, I had my brush with death and mortality I know I'm not taking anything with me. Uh, it's only the experiences that I create uh, as a human being and as a man and as a father and as a and as an attorney and as a member of the of the community and, and God willing uh, and and if you're the votes voters uh, do support as their their elected representative in Albany. Uh, so we have that. I'm here to serve and I'm looking forward to that opportunity and I hope you and the audience will give me that opportunity by giving me your vote. Okay, so there you have it, folks. A man on a mission uh, looking to give back and feels very fortunate, you know, and wants to serve. 24ny.com. All right, so Tony Martinez, we want to really thank you for spending an hour with us, and we'll be posting this so people can listen to it. You can find it on all of your popular podcast providers, and we'll be hopefully talking to you again down the road. Thanks a lot, Tony. You have a great night. You too. Thank you very much for this opportunity. I really appreciate it, Jake. My pleasure. Good night. Okay, there you have it. Uh, Tony Martinez, thanks for tuning in. This is another edition of New York Update. You can catch us anytime online at nyupdate.org. And we're also on Twitter at the other way around, Update NY. It's at Update NY on Twitter. Thanks a lot, folks. Bye-bye.